0: If you're fighting feelings of misery, hopelessness and despair and your little one is difficult to get to sleep, awake for hours at night, waking frequently or fighting sleep, then this episode of First Time Mums Chat is for you. I'm chatting with sleep coach, mum mentor, podcast host and mother of five, Meredith Brough who shares her expertise on holistic sleep methods. Meredith has taken the best things out of the sleep training world and then totally matched them in with the holistic world and has been referred to by her clients as the Baby Sleep Whisperer. You'll hear Meredith share how she specializes in helping high-needs, very challenging babies sleep well, using a very peaceful, loving approach, utilizing tear free methods. What to look out for in your child that could indicate signs of a sleep disorder, tips and advice for a parent who is transitioning their child into their own room, and tips on how to build sleep pressure for kids with conditions such as autism, who often don't like to be touched or cuddled, and much, much more. I'm Helen Thompson, and welcome to First Time Moms Chat. I'm a childcare educator and baby massage instructor and know that being a parent for the first time is challenging and changes your life in every way imaginable. To help ease your transition into parenthood, I aim to offer supportive, holistic approaches and insights for mums of babies aged mainly from 4 weeks to 10 months old. My goal is to assist you to become the most confident parent you can and smooth out the bumps along the way. This podcast is brought to you by My Baby Massage. To find out how Baby Massage can help you to increase your confidence and feel more connected with your baby, check out My Baby Massage introduction video at mybabymassage.net forward slash intro. Let's do this together. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please contact a medical practitioner if you are concerned or have any medical issues. Welcome Meredith to First Time moms Chat. I'm delighted to have you here to talk about sleep and how you help mums in this often challenging area. Can you please start by telling us about your background and what you do?
1: Sure. So I'm a mother of five. I've been married for 27 years. And I'm actually a grandma to a one-year-old named Sawyer, who is the cutest guy with the biggest smile. He has a huge fan club because of his smile. (laughs) I love slowing down, enjoying nature, enjoying my family, going for walks. We have a boat and... That was on purpose because it's a way of getting our family together where they get along. (laughs) And I'm a typical woman. I love shopping and I love spending time with my husband and traveling. But I am actually a coach and mentor to sleep coaches now. That's my present place in life where I am teaching, instructing women, people on becoming a sleep coach or a sleep consultant. I also mentor them and help them build their businesses. So that's my passion right now. But I've spent the last 21 years actually as a sleep coach. The first 15 years, I was practicing on my kids and in my little daycare, just a little daycare in my home. And I honed some really important, powerful talents or abilities to be able to help little children sleep well naturally. I've always had a nurturing approach because number one, that felt natural. But also because I was taking care of other people's babies. So they'd be in my home. And honestly, what I wanted was for them to be on a somewhat predictable schedule, eat regularly, be able to fall asleep on their own in their beds. Because that sure made my life easier, as you can relate mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. home care experience. Really, I just loved sending these babies home to their mothers, sleeping well. Surprising them because I wasn't instructing the mothers. I was really just doing my magic during the day and sending them home without any instruction. And by day four or five, they were sleeping for eight hours at night, whether they were two months old or eight months old or over a year. (laughs) Yeah. And so I actually had an experience that I'd love to share about what kind of woke me up and helped me realize that I had a mission to fulfill. I helped a woman who was very ill, very depleted. She actually had two infections. She was in the middle of a move, and her boyfriend walked out on her, and she had twin two-month-old babies, and two wow. children that were like eight and ten. The missionaries from church called me and asked if I could come help take care of the babies while she was moving, and I brought a daughter with me. And when we got there, I was pretty concerned about the babies. You would do the same thing. When you have a background in child care, you like me. I definitely noticed the babies too lethargic or they don't look right. These babies were snacking. They'd have an ounce or 15 milliliters every you know, three or four hours and they'd take a 15 minute nap and be roaring to go. And the mom told me that they were like that all the time, nighttime too. So mm-hmm. she was miserable. <laughs> they were not thriving. She confessed to me that night that she wanted to die or give them up. And this was like a heart to heart, you know, help. So I did help. I took care of her that night and Took her home the next day and kept the babies in my normal daycare style, which I didn't have a daycare anymore. My daughters helped me at night and we got them sleeping for eight hours within the week. And this changed her life. I got them on a schedule. I got them eating well. They were thriving. Besides the night sleep, it gave her family back. It gave her hope back. And she wasn't alone and she could manage life. So for me, that was like, stopped me in my tracks. Wow. It's a big deal. This is in 2008. 17. I didn't know there was such a thing as sleep consultants. I thought I was creating something from scratch. So I decided to start a business. I did some polling. I did some researching and figured out how to start a business. It was meant to be. I really felt that in my heart. And this was something, a dream that was born in my heart. So the week I had decided to launch my business, I had a client. And she paid me a lot of money. And she had twins. (laughs) And I knew it was a real thing. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a really beautiful story. That's just the beginning of all the experiences that have fed into my passion and helped me just adore my work. So now where I'm at is that I specialize in helping sensitive, spirited, high needs, very challenging babies sleep well. I do that through a very peaceful, loving approach. And I have tear free methods. And that's because that's what works for these babies. Mothers love that feels right to me, but it's also what works best for them. So yeah, I could go on and on, but that's me. What I
0: loved about you when I first met you was your enthusiasm and your passion for what you do, because to me as a childcare educator and baby massage instructor, having a nice, calm, relaxing environment for baby and for mom's. Whether that be with massage, whether that would be with sleep, is just so important because you help moms build their confidence to encourage them and inspire them to be the best moms they can be. That's what I love about what you do. Why is your sleep program different to
1: other people's? Because I know you've mentioned a little bit about it, but why is it so different? By the way, thank you. Thank you for your compliments. It's funny because I am almost as passionate about helping moms as I am the babies. And honestly, I'm more passionate about supporting the babies than I am getting them to sleep well, which is funny. <laughs> I don't think it started that way, but it's just that I've learned so much and immersed myself so much in this work that I know in my heart what they need. I don't even promise sleeping through the night because it's not appropriate. It's the wrong approach. I, I tell parents we're going to optimize their baby sleep so that their baby sleeps as well as they're capable of because they're also mm-hmm. different. So that's one answer to your question is that I approach things as each baby is extremely different. Parents are filling out a quiz and helping me understand their baby. It's all about their temperament, but they still surprise me. They're not little Mm. books. They're Mm. little people. So they're going to react differently than we expect sometimes. So yeah, I approach it individually. I focus on temperament, but I also am big on teaching parents about regressions and growth and development so that they really understand their child. I help them know what's appropriate a baby actually can't comfort themselves even though we call it self soothing it's not even true they need parents to co-regulate their feelings to co-regulate their nervous system so what I call myself is a middle ground or a bridge between attachment style holistic sleep principles Mm -hmm. and the sleep training world I love that imagery because there there's some good things about the sleep training world there's some bad things too there's some beautiful things about the holistic attachment style, and I absolutely agree with them, and I and I embrace what they teach. It's actually a lot of things that I teach that was exciting to me to find that there were people teaching the same things. But there are still women out there who don't have a, a village, who are going to work with a baby. There are people who are raising these really difficult babies on their own, and these babies need them day and night. They're too hard to bed share with. They're too hard to function. (laughs) So there's a need for that independent side, even though it can be forced on babies. So I've found a way to foster independence, to help babies naturally become more independent or naturally self-settle or naturally sleep in a crib. It's not my main focus. I work with anyone's goals. But so I guess I'm a bridge between those worlds because I've taken the best things out of the sleep training world and then totally mesh them in with the holistic world.
0: It's interesting how you mentioned there about regression and the difference between regression and the holistic approach. The sleep consultants I've interviewed before talk about the regression and that babies have a certain approach to how they sleep, but every baby is different. And that's what I like about what you said. It's not about how babies sleep or that babies at certain ages must sleep this way or that way, that by eight months they should be sleeping or whatever. Because every individual is so different. It's about supporting the mother to be comfortable within how they see things and how their baby grows. Some babies grow quicker than others. Some babies go through sleep bursts and some babies don't. And that's what I love about what you share and what you do. So tell us a bit more about your holistic approach.
1: So what you're saying is so true because some children are really laid back and easygoing and they're natural self-soothers. They're the ones who learn to sleep easily. Their parents will argue that there's no such thing as mental leaps or growth spurts that disrupt sleep, right? The regressions. Then there's these other babies that are highly sensitive and they're so in tune with their bodies and what they're feeling and it disrupts sleep for months on end. So the focus for me is on building security and trust, really helping the child love their room and their bedroom. I actually tell my clients to protect the room and make it a safe, happy place 100% of the time. Now, I'm not saying that babies can't wake up at night crying. Some babies actually do cry to release tension as they fall asleep. And Mm -hmm. crying is a form of communication, as you and I have discussed. It's not a bad thing. It's just that we want to make sure that the baby is responded to. Their needs are met. They feel safe. They grow up in this with a sense of trust and security, and that's actually how we help them develop properly in every mm-hmm. single way health-wise, and it affects their, the way their brains develop. So a big deal to be responsive. So yeah, I, I focus a lot on similar things as you. Listen to your intuition. Do everything you can to understand your baby and be in tune with them. I really encourage mothers to trust their intuition. I feel like it's a superpower, especially mother's intuition. And what we do is the holistic side of things. That just means we're looking at schedule. We're looking at wake windows. We're looking at sleep cues. We're looking at the bedroom atmosphere. We're creating the right routine for the child's needs. I actually heard one of your episodes about routines. I love the way she explained it because it's an important principle to make sure that we've got all those elements in the same order. And it's just this comforting experience and tells the brain it's time to go to sleep. And because I work with really challenging kids, and that stuff. Those are things that come up maybe in conversation while I'm coaching someone just to kind of check. I already know my clients have done those things because they usually come to me saying, I've done everything and nothing's working. Mm-hmm. You know, people with this easygoing baby are, are very laid back. It's all about the nervous system. Some babies, they have a flexible nervous system. They're switching into each phase the way they're supposed to. So what is it? Rest and digest. Oh. Fight. Flight or freeze or whatever. So they're switching back and forth when they should. They're not really getting that worked up. Those are the babies that are just, oh my gosh, so easy with sleep. But these F babies, it is part of their nature to signal. They're called signalers to say, I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to do this by myself. I want you and I want you to come for me and I want to sleep in your arms. And I want to sleep next to you. It's just part of their nature. So, anyways, it's just really important to know that about your child. And then the routine has to be along those lines too. You have to make sure that. Very active kids are getting lots of exercise, and they might even need that right at the beginning of the bedtime routine to be able to go to sleep. That's not something my sleep coaches are going to talk about. So, those conversations are had just in passing. It's not what I focus on because the parents who come to me are like, I need something different. I need your perspective. I need your tools. I need your methods. So, the big part of my work is just how do we teach the trust? How do we create the security? How do we get this? little one to fall asleep without feeding to sleep or cuddling to sleep or being balanced and nursed to sleep like these kids need. You
0: mentioned at the beginning them going to daycare and the moms are going back to work and they need their baby to be able to sleep. And it was interesting what you said at the beginning when you introduced yourself about this magic thing that you did. And you didn't even realize you were being a sleep coach. You gave the babies that support and that love to be able to do that. And I think that's empowering in itself because you've got the knowledge of how to do it by just experimenting. And you've had five kids.
1: Well, I read one book before my second child and I used the tips there. I didn't read the whole thing. But it was interesting to pick that book up after I had my fifth child, and I didn't recognize the book. I was not following it. It was my intuition that had taken over, and I was changing things to fit each child. I feel like it's a God-given gift, and that's why I have my school, because I don't feel like these are my principles. They're not my methods. They're not my solutions. I feel like they've been given to me, and I want to share them with other sleep coaches so that they can do this work. I can't help all the families in the world myself. So I have like these little soldiers or ambassadors going around and helping in different countries. And it's really exciting. I love it. And you mentioned about crying, cry. And I, I mentioned this too in your
0: podcast about leaving babies to cry. I don't know if it's an old-fashioned approach, but... I was brought up in my grandfather's day that children should be seen and not heard. I think when your baby's crying, my approach, and I'm sure this is the same as you, I've listened to some of your podcasts, but it's about picking up that child, giving them the trust, telling them that you still love them and you're still here for them and that you fed them and now it's time to go to sleep and just giving them that last cuddle and just gently putting them down. I think I shared that with you in, in the podcast that it was you recently. Oh
1: yeah, that story. I love that.
0: I think that is just so valuable to a mum. And as you say, you follow your intuition and you go with what your gut feeling is. I know when kids get older, when they're toddlers, they may have slept really well when they're babies. But when they come to the toddler stage, they're not sleeping as well. I know from my experience and what I've spoken with mums about that, mums come to me and say, Well, hang on a moment, my baby slept really well when they were a baby but why aren't they sleeping when they're
1: a a toddler what are your thoughts on that Well, sometimes those things happen because they might go through a really tough regression I've had people come to me and say my baby has slept great until 18 months and that's a really big regression Mm -hmm. if anyone is listening has seen an 18 month old and how much they change how much their language develops and how all of a sudden they're just so much more grown up and there's always lots of teething that's a really big one. So it could be just something changing that way. Or it could be like, we've introduced a floor bed. We've introduced a taller bed. And now the yes, child's yes. In a room. That's a big deal. Actually, I'm always concerned about a sleep disorder. So I ask people to take a sleep disorder survey when we start working together. And then I help them know what the concerns are and send them to the doctor or to a specialist. And I help them find a the specialist too. It's just so important. And A lot of the sleep disorder signs are normalized in our society, maybe because of the cartoons and the TV. I don't know what it is, but we think snoring is funny and that it's normal and it's not. We think that mouth breathing is no big deal. And most people don't even notice it. But mouth breathing is a sign of a sleep disorder, Uh, being a restless sleeper. People are used to that, too. They're like, oh, my kid tosses and turns and moves all over the place. It's so hard to share." I'm like, oh, let's take the survey. Let's look at what's going on. And if I see a couple signs and the kid's having trouble with sleep, that's all it takes. And I send them off to someone. So I, I love being able to help people. I just actually connected with a specialist this week who helped a mama know that it's time to go back to that ear, nose and throat doctor. And it's time to do some other work and It was really nice to hear back from them. They actually called me and thanked me and the other doctor, the other provider. It was a first for me. (laughs) But yeah, it's really neat to see that because the sleep can get worse over time because of low quality sleep. Over time, they start to show the signs of the sleep disorder and that could happen at two or three or it could happen at 15, it could happen in your forties. It's just at some point, if you have a sleep disorder, the low quality sleep will show up in some way. You'll have some type of sleep disturbances or health disturbances.
0: It's really interesting you bring that point up because I am on the lookout for speaking to pediatric dentists who pick those things up at an early age. As yes. I mentioned to you in your podcast, I did a podcast with the mom and she was telling me all about her, the way she coped with teasing. It's not just a matter of going to the doctor and getting your tonsils out or getting your adenoids out. It could be to do with tongue tie. It could be to do with
1: allergies. It could be to do with a lot of different things. So my favorite providers that help with this are called myofunctional therapists. Ah. And they specialize in all the disorders of the mouth and tongue tie is one of them. Some of them are very well trained in understanding what the causes of sleep disorders are. And they'll do their work, but they'll also send you to where you need to go. You might need to see the dentist. You might need to see an ENT. You might need to see a cranial sacral therapist or a chiropractor. They call themselves a quarterback because they had to believe in the team approach. And I love that. So that's actually who I sent this client to this week was a myofunctional therapist and a pediatric dentist. So I'm mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, I think that approach
0: is very good for mums to know about. because A lot of them don't know that. They don't know about these different approaches. So let's backtrack a bit. You mentioned about bed sharing and how you cope with that. So what's your approach to bed
1: sharing and moving from cot or bedshare to a toddler bed by yourself. Well, I appreciate you bringing this up because in our first conversation you were talking about being the daycare or the childcare provider who was like, I get this and I love it, but it sure is hard here at the daycare, right? So a lot of times that's why people want to change the habit or maybe they have to travel and they're the only one who can get the child to sleep. That's a big problem. So yeah, I start out by really, truly having the parent just spend a lot of time in the bedroom, helping them wherever they're going to sleep. If it's in the same bedroom, then that's probably not a big deal. But in their bed that they're going to sleep in, I spend a lot of time there and they learn to love it and I have activities I have the parents do to continue to work on this and deepen it. We often get dad involved. And actually, that can be really tricky. Highly sensitive babies, they have this warning system in them that dad's not safe when they're tired. When they want their mom to help them feel safe and calm and, you know, that magic power moms have, they could just scream and cry in dad's arms. So there's a way to introduce that carefully, too. Obviously, dad needs to spend more time with the child and take care of them as much as possible. Maybe do some feedings and try to at least get dad to be part of bedtime routine or naptime routines. If dad can put him to sleep, that's ideal. But you have to build that up. Just have him be part of the routine and then at some point take over, start the routine at some point. Mom can come in and, and finish it off. But just keep building that up. I have sleep methods that I'll have the dad work on. But the mom can be doing the same thing. So honestly, my sleep methods that foster independence that teach the trust and the security. My goal is to trick the child into falling asleep on their own. And they're basically waiting for their mom to come back in the room or we're just taking our time changing things from day to day. So one example I like to share, I don't know if you've heard of the pick up, put down method. Yeah. Yeah. That's a UK sleep consultant's trick. The Secrets of the Baby Whisperer. She included this in her book and she talks a lot about temperament, but then this method is the absolute worst method for a sensitive or spirited child. It does not work. So the way I've modified that is to have a time limit. So we introduced the method. is picking up a child when they cry and laying them back down. We introduced that for like five minutes. And it's really good for younger babies, by the way, a child who lay still and not be crawling and climbing and trying to get out of the bed. So we're cuddling them to relax them. We're laying them back down in the the bed just to be like, hey, this is where you're sleeping now. This is where I want you to be, but not pushing too hard. A baby cries again. We pick them up and it could either be five minutes or it could be just a couple of those cycles. You put them to sleep the way they're used to. The next day we do that for a couple of minutes longer. And we just keep trying to build that up a little bit at a time. Over time, a baby will learn to settle in the crib. So there should be some attempt to, to settle them in the crib before you pick them up or, or whatever. I just find that a more gradual approach is what they need. If they don't feel forced or pushed, okay. then they'll relax and they they get used to this being part of the routine. And that's all it is in the beginning. Over time they're like, okay, this isn't so bad. I can do this. And it works really, really well. I've got eight methods that I use depending on temperament, what the routine looks like. And I'm all about parents using their intuition and and having their own ideas and following those. So I like to share that example just to give people an idea of what they can try. And if you have more creative ideas that come, by all means do it, especially when it's your child. What sort of tips and advice would you give
0: to a parent who was transitioning their child into their own room? What sort of tips? You've shared the tips about helping them to sleep, but what sort of tips would you share to encourage them to get used to their bedroom?
1: Well, a lot of people will do like a camping out thing where they go in the room and sleep with their child. I actually prefer that over if someone doesn't want a bed share or they are too anxious to bed share, then camping out in the child's room is actually really, really comforting to the child. And it's a good way of helping them feel safe there. There's no transition needed necessarily. It's just a matter of getting back out. And I feel like that's the part the parents need more help with is getting back out or getting baby out for the whole night out of the bed. <laughs> other than that idea of camping out, honestly, it is about spending as much time as possible in the bedroom. It really is. I've had some of my clients actually use that trick in other ways. Baby hates the car seat. We're bringing the car seat in the house and they play in it. Baby hates the stroller. We're bringing the stroller in the house and they play in it. Guess what? It just totally changes. One of my clients used to it with potty training. She mm-hmm. had the potty chair Actually, I think she brought her daughter in the bathroom and, and had her just playing in the bathroom and sitting on the chair when she wanted, and it became really natural. So it's, for me, it's not rocket science. It's more of an intuitive idea that works really well. And I've seen pediatric psychiatrists suggest it. And I think that's really important to note because people are afraid of confusing a baby. Well, if they're playing in their room or playing in their bed, then they're going to think it's playtime all the time. Babies are so smart. I know you agree. <laughs> They understand the difference between playtime and nap time, and bedtime. They know the difference between nighttime and bedtime. So I I don't run into that problem. But if a child does play in their crib and they think it's crazy time and that just wakes them up more, then it's probably not a good idea to do that at bedtime.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's something that I'd like to mention on that from a child care perspective and from my own experience from nannying and babysitting. If you put a child down to sleep and there are a lot of toys and a lot of distractions in the room, they're more likely to be focused on the toys and the distractions because they think it's playtime. But if you make the room as you said, a nice environment where you've got this maybe stars on the wall and a nice nightlight. And I'd even put some very light music on. This is my technique of getting babies to sleep. A nice sort of gentle, relaxing music, whether that's Enya, Vivaldi or whatever it is, something that's nice and soothing and relaxing or sleep our melodies. That can also help them to calm down because they know that it's sleep time. They know that That time is when they go to sleep. They know that when they go into the room and they've got this, it's time for them to go to sleep. Also having your routine, a sleep routine, whether that's a baby massage sleep routine when they're young or having a little routine where they learn when they're toddlers to tick it off themselves, right? I have to clean my teeth now and then I have a story with mum. Then once I've had my story with mum, I give mum a cuddle and they tick this all off. And then they know that, okay, mom's going to lie down now and it's time for me to go to sleep. That's my personal approach to sleep. And it works for me. That's from a nanny babysitting point of view. And I've shared that with mums before. And they said, wow, I didn't think about
1: that. Yeah, those are great ideas. And what they do is they create a sense of predictability. But also, if you think about what you just described, there's a sense of peace and security there too. And anytime we're deepening security, that sense of safety, predictability makes you feel safe. And the ambiance that you're creating, that makes a baby feel safe. Any sense of security or safety will deepen sleep. Mm. Isn't that great? I have one side note when it comes to night lights. It really matters what type of light you're using. So you want to use something that's soft or red. I like Himalayan salt lamps because they're more like moonlight it's a pink or orange hue red i think is scary once we get to be a child's age and they're like what the heck there's a red bulb that's not very soothing but that's works fine for the first couple of years so that's probably something you'll find easily but himalayan salt lamps here in the u.s are really easy to find too And i love them so anything that's like led bright white yellow that's more like the sunlight it actually triggers the brain to wake up we don't want that in the middle of the night No, no. You need
0: to have something that's darker and a bit lighter, like the moon, as we say. Yeah. Do you
1: mind if I go back to what I I mentioned, how hard it is to get baby out of the bed long term? Good. I don't want to take long because I don't want this to be too long of an episode, but I will say that this is something you can approach in baby steps. So just remember when you're working on sleep at all, anything you can do in a gradual way is just going to be received better. The child won't be stressed out by it or overstimulated. They won't resist because it's not as obvious that we're making changes. So when it comes to bed sharing, you can make a goal like baby stays in their own cot or crib until I go to bed. That's your first thing. Let's make that a, a consistent theme. The child is used to it and I'm used to it. Then, while you're working on all of these different elements, all these factors, we're talking about the holistic things, making sure the wake windows and sleep cues are appropriate, like the best optimal ones to respond to. Um, Baby's not overtired. That's what I mean by wake wake windows is we don't want them to stay awake too long. Anyways, sorry. (laughs) I'm trying to condense things, but maybe it's not helpful. Then also maybe working on that sleep method and security in the bedroom. This is a good time to expect sleep to get better. So creating a later goal would be easy. You'd be motivated. Baby might be sleeping longer. And so we can make that cutoff time that baby stays in their bed till 11 or 12 or 1 in the morning and we get kind of motivated and excited as things are working and then we can keep pushing that time later and later. One of my clients told me the other day I was able to keep my baby in her bed till 5 in the morning but then she went to breastfeed for the last two hours and she gave me a little tired sign. I was like Uh, "Wow, your baby stayed in their bed till 5 in the morning that's incredible. I feel like that's a pretty good payoff for having to nurse for two hours after that. That's probably a good thing. So the baby had that connection and maybe they needed breastfeeding for pain relief or something. So just kind of helping her with a perspective a 5 a.m. stretch, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yes, that is. She did that in baby steps. So
0: it works. It works really well. I agree. I think that's good. You've mentioned that you work with some challenging children and very briefly with some, if you have an autistic child or a child that doesn't like to be touched or doesn't like to be cuddled. I know from autistic point of view, from my own experience, children who are autistic don't like to be touched and some of them don't like to be cuddled. So how would you support A mom who had an autistic child who didn't want to be touched or cuddled, and they were having sleep problems
1: well some of my clients kids are highly sensitive or it is a sensory need like say get overstimulated through touch it just bothers them i've actually had kids like that in my daycare where you lay them down and they just relax instantly like i just need space in some ways that's easier because a lot of them don't want to be touched even to settle down it's very challenging I think that those kids they need a lot of the daytime activities, exercises to wear them out. You, won't, you do want to make sure that you get the balance right with how much they sleep during the day. But you might have to be extra cautious about like a long nap during the day might make it harder for them to fall asleep. So I think that the biggest goal would be just what can you d- do to really wear them out? I love the idea of massage or relaxing, but in this case that, that wouldn't work. So I would put Epsom salts in the bath to make their muscles feel nice and heavy and tired. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best thing if you can't do massage, and then experiment with those activities exercises, and I'll give you some examples that build sleep pressure. anything sensory those are great activities. You want to do those throughout the day and then maybe within an hour of bedtime. so those could be sensory bins, it could be outside time playing when you're outside and there's so many things triggering the senses that really wears a kid out because <laughs> their their brain's working harder. Then the type of physical activities that will wear out a child are climbing, jumping, spinning, rolling, hanging backwards, uh, dare say climbing. So a lot of the rough and tumble play. That stuff is really good for wearing kids out. One of my client's little girls is, is like that. She doesn't want to be touched. And she's very, very active. Her mom sent me a video once of her jumping on the bed and she was asleep six minutes later. So I know I kind of switched from Kids who don't want to be touched to that. But I think that those activities are good for all kids for wearing them out. You just might have to do them earlier, like an hour before bed, if it makes them awake too much. So yeah, we want to slow down with all the environment that you were creating when you talked about the lighting and music or white noise, that bath would help. Yeah. So hopefully that made sense.
0: (laughs) It did. Thank you. I think those tips are very good for them. So uh, we've had a lovely chat about how you get kids to sleep. And I know you've got a podcast that you do as well. So can you share how people can get in touch
1: with you? Yeah, so my podcast is called The Sweet Slumber Podcast. And you can find that on any of the podcast apps. You can also look on my website, Sweet Slumber Time. Just add that time in there. SweetSlumberTime.com is where I have resources. You'll find my blog, find my podcast. There's a resource tab, by the way. You'll find a group that I run, and I'm on Instagram mostly. I spend most time on the podcast, so there's lots of resources for you there. Great place to start. And when you're on my website, you'll see other things like set up a call, take a quiz. That's my favorite resource that I have that's quick and easy. There's a quiz for finding out what your baby's sleep nature is, whether or not you have a child that's going to be fairly easy to teach or a baby who needs a lot more time and patience and creativity when it comes to sleeping well. It's called the Sleep Temperament Quiz. Well, thank you, Meredith,
0: for sharing your tips. And thank you for being on this podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so (laughs) much for being here. And thank you for sharing your pearls of wisdom and knowledge with me.
1: You're welcome. It was really fun. And I love being able to share this information with you and your listeners. So thanks for having me.
0: It really makes it challenging day to day when you or your little one is sleep deprived. And I'm certain that you've picked up some helpful suggestions to help with this sleeping challenges from our chat. I've included links to Meredith's website, the quiz that she mentioned, as well as her podcast and social media. I've also included links to some of the first-time mums chat episodes related to sleep, which you may also find helpful. These can be found in the show notes, which could be found at mybabymassage.net forward slash podcast forward slash 142. That's mybabymassage.net forward slash podcast forward slash 142. I share each episode on the First Time Mums Chat Instagram page and you'll hear me chatting live with folks I've interviewed from time to time. Please support me by following me and I look forward to meeting you during one of my lives. Be sure to listen to this episode when it comes out next week and please subscribe to First Time Mums Chat via your favourite platform so that you get quick and easy access to all of our episodes when they are live.